Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, decision day has come and gone. The playoffs are nigh. They're here. Nigh. How about that? Um, fancy. <laughs> You're fancy. I know. I know. Woke up. With this. I think this is the earliest we've ever recorded Allocation Disorder. This is typically a, a late night show. We got an early morning edition today, so it's going to be a different vibe. You know, we've had some late night recordings that were also early morning recordings. Yes, we haven't done one of those in a long time, mercifully. I'm not trying to work till midnight, you know, on my regular work days. But, um, you know, maybe we'll bring that back. I don't know. I don't know. You post post World Cup games when we'll be recording at like six in the morning, Qatar time. I'm sure we'll we'll be doing some of that. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. MLS. Regular season over, playoffs are set to begin on Saturday, just a couple of days away. We are going to talk in depth about Decision Day, about some of the decisions that have been made since Decision Day that have some ramifications for clubs and and, and around the league, really. Um, we'll break down the full playoff field. We're going to laugh at ourselves pretty, I think, pretty heartily. We have There's a lot to laugh about when it comes to our season predictions and how things actually played out so we're gonna we're gonna revisit those and, and just kind of show how stupid we are and then we'll take some listener segments questions in the, in the final segment excuse me but first paul we would be remiss if we didn't start the show by sort of giving an update on everything that's happening in portland because there have been some developments there since we last recorded you and meg lenahan put together a story on that on tuesday uh so why don't you break it down for us Yeah, so Merritt Paulson uh, released a statement on Tuesday morning, um, Pacific time, uh, saying that he is removing himself as CEO of both the Portland Thorns and the Portland Timbers. Now, Merritt Paulson has been the owner-operator of that organization since 2007 with the Timbers, um, since 2012 when the the Thorns were founded. So this is a significant change from, from how those organizations typically run. Um, As part of that decision, uh, he announced that Sarah Keen, who's the interim COO, while Heather Davis is the interim president and CEO, uh, Sarah Keen will lead a search for a permanent CEO, a a global search. And, you know, in the statement, basically what he said was, look, I'll I'll quote him here, looking ahead, our organization is at a crossroads and the future is not necessarily a clear path. No matter what happens, ensuring the long term health and success of the Portland Thorns is critical to me as I know it is for our players and the community. So, you know, my takeaway from this is that this is uh, another step that Merritt Paulson is trying to take to avoid what the fans want, which is for him to sell the team. And um, I think certainly what will be interesting is we've seen a lot of the advertisers, the sorry, the sponsors of the team come out and say without significant structural organizational changes, um, they're going to rethink their sponsorship deals. 
Uh, you know, in this case, I think Merritt Paulson is hoping that saying, look, we fired the president of business, Mike Golub, we fired the president of soccer, Gavin Wilkinson, I have stepped away from the organization's day-to-day operations as CEO, like that, that that's enough change to satisfy the sponsors. I don't think it will be enough change to satisfy the fans. I also thought, you know, kind of reading into some of the language in Merritt Paulson's statement is that... You know, he is sort of, it seems, setting things up to potentially try to sell the thorns without selling the timbers. That would be an incredibly complicated process, I think, in multiple ways. First, in the fact that these this is one organization now. They share a lot of the same resources, all of the same staff, except for on the technical side and the medical side. They share facilities. Peregrine Sports, which owns both clubs, operates. The stadium, they don't own it. Uh, they lease it from the city of Portland, but they operate it. Um, the Thorns train at that stadium. There would be sponsorship deals that were written for across both clubs that would need to, to be figured out, uh, probably need to be restructured if a new ownership group took over. Um, the Thorns would be, you know, certainly um, would would require a, a high fee to purchase them. I think the the, the basement would be what you saw um, Washington sold for, which is $30 million. Um, I think the Thorns would go for well above that. So you'd have to find the right buyer. And then, you know, as Paulson said multiple times in a statement, you know, it was important to him uh, and it's important to the league, um, as we understand it, that the Thorns stay in Portland. So, right. um, and then the, I, that last part, I can't see a buyer. Why would anyone buying the team want to move it out of Portland? Right. You know, they draw a ton of fans it's the most successful franchise or has been historically obviously some of the new teams that have come in have have been similarly successful with crowds but um you know sustainably the thorns have been kind of the the golden example of what is possible Mm -hmm. um and and i thought it was interesting in saying all of that about Merritt's decision to, to step away um kind of the language that would open the door to the possibility of selling the thorns I thought it was interesting that um, the the supporters groups came out and had a, made a statement together. And part of that statement said the Timbers and Thorns are one organization. And they again called for Merritt Paulson to sell both teams. I, I think they they similarly read into that language of this possibility of, of Merritt Paulson selling the Thorns, but trying not to sell the Timbers. And, and their response, you know, came out right away to say this is one organization. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, our our friend Bill Orm had another column yesterday for the Oregonian saying, you know, that this was essentially, you know, more window dressing and that, you know, nothing can really change. Nothing does really change. If, if the CEO's boss is Merritt Paulson, <laughs> then Merritt Paulson is essentially still the decision maker, the right. The the person who is it's sort of like making uh, the calls analogous to the Washington football team or Washington Commanders situation where exactly. Dan Snyder is technically not running the team, but his wife is. Right. And and what you don't think they talk about that at the dinner table at, right. at home? Right. Like I think I think he's still involved in the organization. And you know there there was no timeline put on. Forgive me here, Paul. I'm not completely up to speed on everything because I was out reporting yesterday for a feature, but there's no timeline put on when he, how, if this is permanent, if it's temporary, he didn't say anything in, in that regard. Did he? I mean, they're going to hire a new CEO. So. Yeah. They're going to hire a new CEO. So it seems like this would be a permanent move, but, but, again, but you don't know how involved he's going to be with the new CEO. 
Exactly right. And Sam, actually, in our reporting on Tuesday, um, we spoke, you know, we, we made some calls around the different organizations. It does seem that Mayor Paulson will be removed or remove himself from the board um, for NWSL league governance, which right. is interesting. Do However, we have clarity on MLS yet? Whether he is not. There? It does not affect his role in governance for Major League Soccer. Right. Which I think, again, is indicative of the fact that that he is still going to be making decisions for the Timbers. And, um, and certainly think, decisions that affect the Timbers. I mean, he sits, on the, product, he sits on the product strategy committee. Um, he's one of just a handful of people on that committee. And he's, you know, a pretty loud and powerful voice on that committee. And, and the, for those who are listening to this show who don't know what the product strategy committee, which I'm sure, which very how dare you, you yeah, if, yeah. if that's you, how dare yeah. you? Um, it, it basically impacts the the product that you see on the field, the all of they the, make the rules, rules that we talk about. Rules. Yeah. Um, and and we we really strongly believe, Sam, you and I, after doing a lot of reporting for many many years about the product strategy committee, that you know obviously the, the mix of owners on that committee matters because they all represent themselves. They 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 do mm-hmm. what's best for their teams, and sure they try to shift it in kind of what's best for the league, but realistically they're influenced by how that impacts them their pockets and their teams. I, and, I also want to just note, to peel back the curtain a little bit. Paulson on that committee, I think it would be fair to describe him as some, something of a moderate slash yeah. like maybe leaning a little conservative. He once was the, one of the liberal members, right? He, but he and Adrian Hanauer were the high spenders on that committee right. not too long ago, but the but league now has changed substantially. They're comfortable with the status quo. They don't necessarily want to spend more, a, a ton more money to, to keep their teams as competitive as they have been. So, it's kind of, you know, let's keep the let's keep the system the same. Right. Anyway, that's not super relevant to this conversation. I also want to note, and we noted this in the story as well, which is that, you know, certainly again, I think Merritt Paulson feels like this is substantial change to to back away from an official role in the day-to-day mm-hmm. duties of the team. Um, but I, I also want to note that MLS does have the power through its constitution to punish owners um and to sanction so Don Garber can sanction Merritt yeah. Paulson. And, and, and to quote the Constitution, if he, quote, engages in any conduct that is detrimental to the league or soccer in general, <laughs> it's um, pretty wide. <laughs> which is a pretty wide statement. And I think certainly with what we know Merritt Paulson's role to have been through the Sally Yates investigation in what happened uh, on the NWSL side of things with the Portland Thorns, with and, and O'Reilly. What's, and what's happening with sponsors now on the MLS side in addition to the NWSL side? It, I think it you can say difficult. It would it's be detrimental difficult. to both. Yeah, it would be yeah. difficult to argue that it is not detrimental to the league or soccer in general. Yeah. MLS has not yet announced any punishment for Merritt Paulson. Um, and uh, there is an investigation still ongoing, the NWSL, NWSLPA investigation. So maybe Major League Soccer is waiting for the results of that investigation before which would they be, do anything. Which would, which would be a reasonable thing. Totally appropriate action yeah. to wait. Um, but I do want to note for those who have been asking – they might not be able to force Merritt Paulson to sell. I don't think they'll hit that 75% vote threshold. In fact, I don't even think they'd bring it to a vote. Right. I think we However, talked about that last week, right? Yeah. As we spoke about last week. But I do think, I, I do want to make clear that because just because they can't force him out or they won't force him out as owner doesn't mean that there isn't punishment available. And we've seen that punishment utilized with Jorge Mas, who was fined $250,000 for breaking mm-hmm. league rules. Uh, if you recall, Sam, during the... MLS's back period, Don Garber threatened to use that rule um, for people who were leaking information 
yeah. threatened to fine them up to a million dollars. If Deloitte Hansen was hit with a six figure fine for speaking out of turn during a CBA negotiation. Once. Right. So it, it, it's not a rule that's, that's rare. Not, I don't want to say it's not rare, but it has been used in the past. Um, certainly I think this is not the end of things. As, as we just said, there is another investigation ongoing, which means there will be another release of information from that investigation. And, I think the fan reaction yesterday to this announcement by Merritt Paulson indicates that um, they don't feel that this is enough. Um, and yeah, and I mean, I think Paul, it's important to sort of remember that the people who are commenting on articles or tweeting are the people who are super engaged. It's the diehard fans, and their opinions certainly matter. But I'm just very curious what the casual Portland Thorns or Portland Timbers fan. Uh, is feeling about this. I know this release, these findings have broken through in a way in Portland in terms of the media coverage and, and it being on the, the local news and being in the newspaper time and time again, as you mentioned from, from Bill Orem um, and others, uh, that it's it's bigger than it had been at any point in the past. So I think it's making a deeper penetration. But I'm just curious how how much or how wide or how deep that anger is among the entire fan base and not just the people who have given so much of their time and energy and money to the club and really support it in a diehard fashion. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot because, you know, the the more expensive seats are the ones that hit the owner's pockets and, and those typically, or not typically, those are not the supporter sections, right? Those are the cheapest seats. However, yeah. I do think what stands out for me in Portland is a huge part of what makes that product matter. Yeah is the, their supporter section. And yeah. it, it creates an atmosphere that MLS has used time and time and time and time again in their advertising. And for, you know, I went to a game in Portland with my wife while I was on vacation. She was thrilled, as you might imagine, Sam. That I, I did that once too, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, that's what, so, that's what sold it to her, right? Like is, is watching the environment as much or more than watching the actual soccer when did, game. When did you guys go? Well, it was a long time ago now, Sam. It was 2017? Okay, I think I went to one in 15. It was a Timber Sounders game. And oh. Steven Jackson, the former NFL running back, was sitting like right next to us. And I was like, <laughs> why? And then I remember that he went to Oregon State. So there you go. There's a weird anecdote for you. Yeah, we did a West Coast trip and we ended it in Seattle, but we went through Portland and there happened to be a game that day. So I said, there you go. I told my wife, let's go. Um, yeah, so I, I just think it, it, it's going to be interesting. And Sam, you know, we talked about this last week, and I want to emphasize it again. When something like this happens in an organization, it is it is very difficult to not have a scandal like this that, and even the, the fallout and even small decisions or big decisions that come out of that, out of the results of these investigations, everything gets amplified. Every single action of the club, every single action of the leadership it gets amplified. It starts to permeate into the ethos of the club, and it becomes very difficult to um, to manage. And I think I think that we already saw some impact of that on decision day. I think that with everything that happened with Portland, they didn't everything like that they was going to on. Be there. It they were it was an incredibly flat performance considering what was on the line. They they lost a game that they own that they only needed to draw right to get yeah, into the playoffs. But they were never they were never in it never. not even close and and it eliminated them from the playoffs and it's i i just don't see how 
the two aren't linked in some way. And I think that is the yeah. danger of what could continue to happen in Portland, especially mm. if, if, if Merritt Paulson keeps holding on. If, as you said, Sam, if this starts to permeate the larger fan base, if this starts to impact yeah. those game day atmospheres, the, you know, and that's the difficult side. Like, how you know the fans want to be there to support the players and, uh-huh. and to be able to distinguish between the players who don't have a role in this and the ownership who does. Um, but that that's where the change starts to happen, or, yeah. or theoretically could. Not in the case of the Washington NFL team, but in other places, that's where change starts to starts to occur when it when it really takes over kind of the ethos of the club. Um, I, I I wasn't surprised. I have a question off. for you, and somebody put this to me yesterday in a message. Um, do you think there's any chance that this is like a, you know, the Paulsons, Merritt and Hank basically slow pa- playing a, a, an attempt to sell both teams? It's like a signal that, hey, we're removing ourselves, but not like, hey, it's for sale to like to like cause like a sale under a distress under distress circumstances where maybe they would get less than they would want. Do you think there's any I, I chance think... that this is the f- not the first step, but a early step in that process? I think two things. First of all, I think it's definitely the first step for the thorns. I think they definitely feel like they're going to explore that. And he hint, I, I really believe if you, we, yeah. when you read into the language, it's pretty clear that that's something under consideration. Right. And he I, didn't talk the same way about the timbers that he no. did about the thorns, like not even close. Yeah. However, and, and I, I, I think their desire is to hold onto the timbers and, and sell the thorns. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think it would be negligent if they were not, at least looking into what they could get for the the tires. Yeah. Yeah. So do they want to sell? Would they, would they openly start to say to people we want to sell? No, but you know, considering what they just sold 15% of the organization for, and that was for the thorns and the timbers valuation of 600 million, which by the way, they basically positioned as, Hey, this is a sweetheart deal for a minority stake. Like if we were selling the whole thing, the valuation would be higher. Right. Um, and and what's interesting, Sam, again, and this is this goes to that idea of spinning off the thorns and selling it as a separate entity. How did that how was that deal structured? Because it was structured as 15% of both. It would so, be complicated. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy. Um, so yes, so in light of that, I do think I do think that they would be at least discussing what it would look like to sell both. I yeah. think I think they'd have to be, right? Yeah, you do your due diligence, right? Yeah. So I don't know a lot, obviously let left to, to play out with this story. I'm sure we'll get some more updates here in the coming days and weeks. Certainly when the NWSL and MWCLPA joint investigation comes out, there will be another raft of news with this, but yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of the dominant storylines in American soccer until we get resolution one way or another. And like we said last week, Paul, it's going to be how much does Merritt Paulson, how much is he willing to tolerate and we'll see if sponsors keep pulling out and if fans stop showing up, he's not going to be able to tolerate that very long. Yeah, it would be interesting. And Sam, I, from a from a business perspective for the league, if the Timbers were to go for sale, it would be one of the most interesting measuring sticks of these valuations of any we've seen. Yeah, you know, because it isn't Houston or even Orlando that were, or or certainly not Real Salt Lake that were, you know, really distressed. I think Houston and RSL very distressed, Orlando less so, but Orlando didn't get the price that they were hoping for. And so I, I just think it would be interesting to see what a club like Portland that for so long has been held up as a standard bearer in the league 
yeah. would would go for on the open especially, market. Especially since the sale would be coming after the Apple TV deal right. has been sealed for the next 10 years. Yep. Um, yep. So there's a lot left to play out with this. Paul, there's a lot left to play out in the MLS postseason. In fact, all of it. Um, we're going to talk about that and make fun of ourselves in the next segment. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, let's talk about Decision Day, man. There were several games of consequence. Columbus versus Orlando in the East. And several layers of consequence. Columbus in complete control of that game for the first half. Orlando looked like they were sleepwalking through the swampiness of Central Florida. Columbus took a 1-0 lead. They took it relatively deep into the second half. Orlando equalized and then got an 84th minute penalty kick winner from Facundo Torres to qualify for the playoffs. The crew just needed a draw, knock the crew out and knock Caleb Porter out of a job. He was fired. When was that Monday? Yeah. Monday. Monday. He was fired after missing the playoffs for the third time in four seasons as crew head coach. Of course he did win MLS cup. The one time they did make the playoffs in the weird pandemic season of 2020. Um, Paul, that game was bizarre. It felt very Orlando to me. There was like a whole thing with the subs and the entire Orlando bench was screaming at the fourth official, which is a, f- a thing that I feel like happens with the Orlando bench, like semi-regularly, um, certainly way more often than it does with other MLS teams. And it's just like weird, random stuff like that, where it's like something goes funny with like the fourth official and everybody has a massive meltdown. But anyway, credit to them for, for fighting back, making the playoffs and the crew, man. That team could not hold the lead. Yeah, I mean, it's been a problem all year long, dropping points, not just dropping points from a winning position, but dropping points in the 90th minute or later. 11. 89th minute or later, 11 points dropped, which is just an insane stat. Um, And what's crazy is, yeah, like, think about that. One goal deciding a job uh, for Caleb Porter, a penalty kick goal, a handball that was... (sighs) Look, I don't know. Tim Bezbachenko's comments were, we felt like if we didn't make the playoffs, we had to make a change. Well, you Um, know what? If you make the playoffs as the seven seed and you get stomped in the first round, I think Caleb Porter would have got to fire that. I think so, too. I think so, too. But I'm just going on what Tim Bezbachenko said. By the way, I will say the referees did come out and say they made a mistake in that game with that substitution. So justifiable screaming. I don't even know what happened. I'm still confused. They wouldn't let somebody on the field because they didn't know that the other person had already come off the field. And so Orlando had to defend a set piece at a crucial point in the game with 10 men. That seems and, like a very easy thing to just like figure out. You just count. Can you count to 11? Right. Or, or it was 10? a mistake. It was 
they should not have blown what they said was they we should not have blown the whistle for the restart until we settled what was going on with the substitutions um so orlando would justifiably upset that they had to defend that crucial set piece with 10 men oh, um, well that ends well I suppose. but you're right it is chaos <laughs> i mean i i am going to watch and write about the orlando playoff game this week because last time i covered an orlando playoff game it was the most chaotic yeah game Legendary of all ever game. and i i uh you know i was writing it in a very chaotic household at the time it fit very well so i was like i i have to like Make sure I watch Orlando again, just in case something <laughs> goes nuts. And and they're your hometown team, obviously. Of course, you got to get that in. Um, what do you make of the decision to fire Porter? I think it was the right one. Um, you know, Caleb Porter is. Um, how should I put this? A difficult He's not an personality easy man to work with. Yeah, it's a difficult yeah. personality to work with, and he he grinds on you after a couple years. So you know, after four years three of which you don't make the playoffs, it, it becomes a very difficult environment to justify pushing, pushing forward, pushing through. Um, and so this felt, this felt inevitable for a long time, Sam. I feel like you and I were kind of on Caleb Porter watch from like, I mean, we talked about it on the like show last June, week. June on, like yeah. we were kind of on Caleb Porter watch. And, and I think that, you know, I think it'll be for me, the most intriguing side of this is where, where Tim Bezbachenko looks for a head coach. You know, I, I'm not I'm not sure who, but I thought it was interesting that he said that the search is underway, but some of their interviews will be contingent on when guys are available to talk. And I thought that was interesting, Sam, because you and I have shouted on this show before about like why teams never really truly chase head coaches of other teams. Mm-hmm. Like if why not go get somebody that you like that's coaching another team and and trade for them or buy them out yep. or whatever you have to do. I don't know. Was that a hint? Maybe that Tim Bezbachenko is going that way? Perhaps. Um, it also could be, you know, this is a guy that has relationships all over the league. You look at the LA Galaxy coaching staff, for instance. Basically, that entire staff worked in Toronto under Tim Bezbachenko from yep. Greg Vanny on down, Dan Kalichman, J- Jason Bent. Maybe that's, maybe that's something he's looking at. Um, maybe there's another assistant out there. They have, you know, a, a young coach in Laurent Courtois, who just managed Crew 2 to the MLS Next Pro regular season and playoff titles. Um, I would expect him to at least get an interview. Uh, so we'll see where they go. But this is, a, this is a good job, Paul. Like a really good one, I would say. The, the pressure and the expectation are, are reasonable, uh, and the resources are top level. Yep. They spend a lot of money, the Haslams. They have a f- fantastic facilities. Uh, you know, they have talented players. Right now, like, You've gotta, like you can walk into that team next year and you can contend immediately for everything with some of the players that they have on that squad and Cucho Hernandez and Zellerayan and Nagby on and on. So th- this is an attractive, attractive job. And, and I, I do wonder if they'll try and make a run at a Jim Curtin, maybe. Um, That's what like, I was thinking. Like we saw FC Cincinnati do last year. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see how, how this plays out. Um, but to me, like in terms of the jobs that, you know, looking at the teams that missed the playoffs this year and, and, and their hopes for next season, like Columbus is at the top of that list in terms of their potential and, and what they should be, in my opinion, in 2023. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the positions that they need to strengthen, these aren't hard. They're not like the more difficult ones. It wasn't, right? and, and it wasn't like they were out here losing a ton of games. Right. They drew everything. 
you know <laughs> they, tied a lot. they weren't like they weren't terrible like yeah, they, they i think they drew 16 games or something yeah. like that i think they only had like seven or eight losses i can't i don't have the record in front of me obviously um but it wasn't like they were awful or anything this year they just couldn't hold the lead the margins were very close it's not going to take a lot to push this team over the top and i would expect them to rise significantly although paul i will say that i nailed my prediction on them finishing eighth in the east both them and portland well, i think those are the only things i got right embrace but, embrace the ones you got right yes you know? that's yes, important you gotta there. gotta lean into that um if i was optimistic that, about well. columbus i had them finishing third yeah well they looked like they had a good team so we'll dive more into that. We'll see where they go. We'll see where Houston goes as well. They have an opening. Um, Charlotte, NYCFC, both with interim managers. I would expect Charlotte to stick with Latanzio at this point. Um, yeah. I, NYCFC, Nick Cushing, been very up and down, to say the least. You know, started really poorly. <laughs> um, they have things turned around. Maybe he can he can earn the job with a big run in the postseason. But we'll see there. And, and yeah, so some intrigue this winter for sure. Um, and we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, out West, I was actually really impressed by RSL in their match against Portland. As bad as Portland was in that game, RSL I thought was, was quite good. Um, changed the formation a little bit, Pablo Mastroeni. And by the way, I, I don't know, there's something about Pablo Mastroeni I, I would like want to play for that guy in a big game. I said it last week, man. This is this is Pablo Mastroeni time. This is RSL time. Like the weeks, the week before the playoff starts, through basically the Western Conference final. They, they don't <laughs> they don't really get there at MLS Cup, but they are going to they they mess people's brackets up. They mess people's playoff hopes up. In the case of the Portland Timbers, they are that team that you don't like. They are like make things yeah. difficult. You know play with passion and that matters in knockout tournaments. Like they have the knockout tournament. identity. I feel, I feel like they have a very good balance between looseness and competitiveness. They like find the sweet spot for that. And, you know, we can actually get into it right now, Paul. Um, I'm looking at these matchups in round one and, and Austin FC, you can fire it up, man. I'm picking you guys to lose to real salt Lake. <laughs> at yeah. home because you talk about that sweet spot i this is to me i think back to that 2018 matchup between rsl and lafc and this rsl team you know i think is probably in a better spot maybe than that one was but that was like you're going to the to the new expansion team great crowd great stadium good attacking soccer maybe some questions in defense it's a lot of hype but they've never been there before. And you go in, you have nothing to lose. You just play spoiler. And in that case, they came out with a win, scored three goals on two shots on goal. Um, I don't think that's going to happen again, <laughs> ever, in any game, in MLS, ever. Um, but I don't know, something about this RSL team. I, I think I think they're going to go down to Texas and get a win, man. Yeah, I mean, let's do this. We're, we're in the bracket now, Sam. I don't disagree with you. I've picked my Western Conference winner based on two upsets happening that one would be really helpful to me if Salt Lake were to upset Austin. I have Dallas beating Minnesota. I think those teams are pretty Ooh. darn evenly matched, so that could go either way. Like, <laughs> I think Dallas wins that game. So I have Dallas beating Minnesota. I have. I really don't even know who I'm going to pick in this one. I'm going to say Nashville to beat the Galaxy. And then I got Nashville upsetting LAFC in the conference semis. Again. Yeah. For the Dallas. second time in two two weeks, huh? Yeah, Dallas beating RSL and then Dallas beating Nashville and going to MLS Cup. 
I'm, I mean, you, something weird is going to happen Alex. in this bracket. Okay. And I'm going chalk on. I mean, I don't want to say fully my Eastern, but I'm so I got to pick something weird. And so I'm going, <laughs> I'm going with Dallas. When in doubt, go weird. And even when not in doubt, go weird. I mean, it's I think MLS. That's a good lesson for MLS. If you're not right? going weird, you're going to look silly. Well, you know what, Paul? I'm, I have no problems looking silly. We all know that. Uh, I think I'm, I, th- I think I'm going to pick LAFC to get out of the West this year. Okay. And, and, and I say that they were the best team in the league over the first half. They had some struggles in the second half. Too many cooks. I think we can all agree. We can all understand. But, you know, they've entered the playoffs before being the big-time favorites. Uh, this year, it feels a little bit weird. So this is the year that they'll do it. That's yeah. that's kind of my thinking. Um, L.A. Nashville, I really don't know where that game's going to go. I'm ho- like, you know, as a neutral, as a, just like a general league observer, an El Trafico playoff game would be fun. Um, I don't think MLS would hate that. But Nashville, they have they have a good identity for knockout games, man. They do. So I don't, I don't really know where I'm going. I think Dallas, I already said RSL. I think Dallas will beat. well, I don't know. I need to think about this a little bit more. Sam. Maybe you'll pick RSL to make the conference final again. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll swing over the East while you're thinking about the West. Okay. Uh, is there, is there a matchup in the Eastern conference that sticks out to you in the first round? I think I'm most excited about NYCFC Miami because of the fact that New York changed their home venue like two days before the game. And Phil Neville and, is tweeting and Phil it. Neville and Jorge Mas <laughs> are so angry about it. And Phil Neville is tweeting his way through it from his unverified Twitter account, which remains one of my favorite things about Major League Soccer by far. Is Phil that like, Neville, first of all, tell the people the name of his Twitter account. I think it's Fizzer18. Yeah. I'm, and you, you keep talking. I'm going to pull who is, tweets. Who is I wanna the most I famous? Who would you say the most famous and recognizable coaches in Major League Soccer? Like, if you were to line them up, like, who is the most famous MLS coach? Um, Wayne Rooney. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Second most famous, though, is <laughs> Phil Neville. And guess what? <laughs> Wayne Rooney's social media accounts are probably verified, Okay. It's it's amazing that Phil Neville has an unverified Twitter account uh, and that he uses it and that he uses it to be angry about the fact that this got changed to being played at City Field and he was tweeting at the supporters <laughs> groups <laughs> saying please let us know where we're going to play. It was inc- it's incredible I, for that reason and that reason alone. Basically, I would like to watch I mean, the NYCFC Miami game. Only and MLS man. I'm rooting for I'm rooting for Miami because again. I'm rooting for chaos. I want Fizzer 18 to tweet something about City Field after winning on a baseball stadium in a baseball stadium since he's so upset about it. Yeah. So, you know, people were tweeting screenshots of, of, a, of a NYCFC email that they sent to their fans about playing the game at City Field. <laughs> and he's quote tweeting them with, they haven't confirmed to enter Miami yet, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's amazing it's great he's saying saying, can you let me know asap please so i can tell our supporters who have bought tickets for red bull arena it's incredible (laughs) let let us know we still have to book our hotel for the team (laughs) (laughs) he's just out here like just tweet storming and then he's my favorite one is somebody replied to him it shouldn't matter where we play worry about the lads and have them ready for this one he goes i'm not worried I play in Central Park. <laughs> Incredible. So, there you go. Incredible. Um, so how, yeah. how how can you pick any other matchup, Sam, basically? Well, I'm going to pick a matchup that is being played at Red Bull Arena. Um, 
New York Red Bulls versus FC Cincinnati. FC Cincinnati play games with many goals. They score out the butt. Brandon Vasquez, Brenner, both with 18-plus goals. The only duo in MLS history to achieve that. Lucho Acosta with a best 11 caliber season right behind them, I think with 10 goals and like 17 assists or something like that. He, he was excellent this year. Um, the Red Bulls, you know, they play very Red Bull. They do what they do. And we know how they're going to look. Uh, I'm just really excited to see FC Cincinnati in the playoffs and what that kind of up-and-down attacking soccer can lead to because as good as they are in the attack, they are suspect in defense. They gave up a ton of goals this year. Matt Miazga kind of helped shore things up back there. Um, but I'm just really curious to see kind of what their maiden voyage in the postseason looks like. And I think I'm picking them to win that game. I think they're a lot more talented than the Red Bulls are, particularly yeah. up front. I mean, I would I would normally pick they're easy to root for, but then their admin went on Twitter yesterday and was like trolling people for picking them to finish twelfth and thirteenth and fourteenth. And and every, like putting, literally every hold on, team. Hold does. on, you can't post the standings. You finished fifth in your conference. You won three consecutive wooden spoons. No, no. What you don't like banter? That's not banter. That's embarrassing. So I'm picking the Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I like Cincy to win that game, and then they'll set up a, a Philly special against the Union. Pat Noon and Chris Albright and the boys going up oh, against that would, that would, I, You know, now I have to root for that. You're right. There would be a real connection there. It would be yeah. a good storylines to write about, you know, that we root for easy stories here. Yeah, wow. you're, you're no, really I got to stick with it. You're really in conflict. You uh, don't even have your Western Conference thing sorted still. You should be focused more on that, thinking about what, what you want to have. I'm trying to over drive there. the show, Paul. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I like Philly. I actually like Philly to get out of the East. Me too. I got Philly MLS going to MLS Cup. Did yeah. I just pick both one seeds to go yes, to MLS you did. Cup? You I went did. full yeah. chalk in MLS playoffs, which always happens. You know, it always happens that the it two does. one seeds get yeah, to MLS does. Cup. All right. Well, that's what I'm doing. And who cares about the rest of the Western or Eastern Conference brackets? Um, I do think Montreal is going to give Philly a run. I think they'll they'll make the conference final. Wilfried Nancy did a great job up there. He was my pick for coach of the year. Um I'd like but, to note that I picked Orlando to win MLS Cup. So I'm going to have them going to the Eastern Conference Finals. You, you got to have it both ways. You no, make no, no. I have, I, it's I'm Philly, gonna, I'm but gonna if Orlando me. wins MLS Cup, you're going to be doing a victory lap about that too. Yeah, well, no, that's Paul, definitely I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you do that. Right? I, I, I am picking pick Philly now. to get out, but I, I am picking Orlando to make a run to the final. And then they're going to lose to Philly, and I'll be that close to being right on a preseason prediction. Okay. Game. You're ridiculous. Um, you're a clown. You're embarrassing. <laughs> Why don't you go hang out with the FC Cincinnati social media team? Okay. Um, you guys would fit in together. Actually, just kidding. FC Cincinnati, what you did, not embarrassing. Paul's just a cranky old man who is inconsistent with his opinions and should not be taken seriously. Well, since we're talking about <laughs> predictions, not being and what we got seriously. right and wrong and, and not taking anything that happens on the show seriously. Oh, man. Let's go through our predictions from the okay. start of the season. Yeah. I don't know whose was worse. Do do- we both were, were bad. All right, so I picked the Seattle Sounders to win MLS Cup. They did not make the playoffs. I picked Atlanta United to win the Supporters' Shield. They also did not make the playoffs. <laughs> um, I picked Joseph Martinez to win the MVP and Golden Boot. He ended the season as a reserve. Uh, I picked Gonzalo Pineda to be coach of the year. I really went all in on Atlanta United here. Um, he- Atlanta fans are calling for him to be fired. Um Young player of the year, I, I chose Talis Magno, who is not going to win that award, 
but he had a good year. I didn't curse him. He was solid for New York City FC. A newcomer of the year, I picked Lorenzo Insigne. That ain't going to be happening. Uh, breakout player of the year, Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy. Oof, that one doesn't look great in hindsight. Um, you know, and we did our, we did our, uh, you know, put our blanks on the table prediction. Um, and mine was, I got, oh, now it's muted. You're the one who screamed it in the preseason prediction show. And I was trying to be careful with it. (laughs) Now you're, well, well, maybe that was a late night show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I said, not only will this be the year that an MLS team wins the CONCACAF champions league. I got that part right. But two MLS teams will make the CCL final. I was, you know, we were close on that one. I was not far we off. We were on that. close on both of the on the table predictions. We'll get to mine in a second. Um, MLS Cup. I picked Orlando City. We went over that already. I think that they are not going to win MLS Cup, but I'm still <laughs> hoping that they make a run in the playoffs because I did say that it's going to come together really late in the season for them. And yeah, like maybe like in the postseason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This would this would make it 100 percent right if they go to win. I picked uh, Seattle to win the Supporter Shield. That was like a real self-inflicted wound that you called out right away. You were like, dude, they're making a run in Champions League. There's no chance they win a Supporter Shield. You were right. They didn't even make the playoffs. Um, I had Shakiri winning MVP. Ooh. He was, Yikes. you know, I will say this. He had seven goals and 11 assists. I did not think his stats were that good because I watched them play. and he did How not many penalties that in that? Yeah. A lot. And he yeah. just wasn't that good. He, he doesn't really like to try. Um, I had Joseph Martinez winning golden boot. <laughs> um, he ended the year with nine goals. So that was not, you great. picked Joseph too. Okay. I had Tiago Martins as defender of the year. Oh, I had played, Walker Zimmerman. I think I skipped that one. He played a lot of games, but he was he's not, no. not the defender of the year. He um, was not the defender of the year on his own team. Minus 1.13 goals added this year. So not, yeah, not amazing. No, Oscar Pereja. I had his coach of the year. That's not going to happen. Alan Velasco. I had as the newcomer of the year. He had a fine season. He had he six goals and seven assists. You know? He's not newcomer of the year caliber. No, not newcomer of the year caliber. Um, I had him as newcomer and young player of the year. So okay. I was wrong on both of those yeah. counts. Right team for young player of the year, probably. Wrong guy. Yeah. Um, and then I had breakout player of the year as Julian Carranza. I, I'm going to say I got that ah, one right. I think I got, you did. I got that one right. I think you nailed it. Yeah, that was like one right. right prediction. Yeah. So I'm going to hold on to that one. And then my other one was my, you know, on the table prediction was Miguel Angel Ramirez is fired or gone in a shorter amount of time than Alan Coach. Koch. Koch? I don't know. He was gone in 11 games. I think Miguel Angel Ramirez made it to 14 games or something like that. Okay, so you were wrong. Pretty darn close on that one. And remember, Charlotte fans were trolling the hell out of me when they started so well. And I was like, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know about your own organization, but you're going to find out. And they did. They found out. They did. And they still did pretty well this season. So credit to Charlotte FC and the players and Matanzio and Zoran Kurnetza for having a respectable expansion here. Just to really emphasize how bad the predictions were, you asked a question of both of us in that that episode, which team had the best offseason hole? I said two teams. I'm between two. Toronto and Chicago. Toronto... We did not know the chaos that was coming in the summer, but both of those teams missed the playoffs in spectacular. Mm-hmm. Well, Toronto in spectacular fashion. Chicago was just like what they were the entire year, which was not good enough to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um. So I was really, I just want to point out very wrong on both of those teams. Who did I say for those? I don't have your prediction here for that, but 
unfortunately. Okay. Anyway, well, we should also talk about this season's awards ballot, and, and this segment's going pretty long, so we'll, we'll have to do this quickly. MVP, Paul, M- mine's Tony Mukhtar. 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 Yeah, Mukhtar. Yeah. Yeah. Drew looked like he was in the driver's seat for that for a long time this year. Um, but Mukhtar, I think... What an really, amazing really signing Hani Mukhtar ended up being. Incredible. Him. An incredible season, and if you take him off that team, they are butt. It's two butt references on this show so far. Yep. Yeah. All right. I should slow down. Goalkeeper of the year, Andre Blake for me. I have Blake as well. Uh, which would probably be his third. Um, one of the greatest goalkeepers in MLS history. Yeah. I would He's say. very good. At, very good at his job. Um, defender, I think Kai Wagner. <sighs> me too. See him. Wow. Great minds. Uh, newcomer of the year, Georgie Petrovich. Goalkeeper have- for, for New England. Made them not miss Matt Turner even a little bit which is a massive accomplishment because Matt Turner was no slouch in MLS. Paul, young player of the year. I sort of went off the board getting some hate on Twitter for it. I think Jose Cifuentes, I know Jesus Ferreira was excellent. Credit to him for an awesome season that he had for Dallas. But Cifuentes, for me, was probably the best player on the team that won the Supporter Shield. That says a lot. Yeah, second highest goals added, according to American Soccer Analysis, in the entire league behind only Hani Mukhtar. Uh, I have yeah. Jesus Ferreira because if you score goals and a lot of them, then you win awards. Yeah. Basic. Petr- You're basic. I also had Petrovic. You're basic. I am basic. I am the, that is, that is, I am okay with that pumpkin spice latte pick because wow. it's going to be correct. Embarrassing. Um, comeback, I put Kai Kamara. This is a weird award because it's like, what are they coming back from necessarily? Kai Kamara was coming back from looking like his career was over. Well, he literally um, came back. He yeah. was out of the league. He was in he, Finland. Then he came back to the yeah. like. <laughs> And and he's been really good. Um, he is the most literal of the comeback player. Yeah, options. exactly. That's why I voted for him. Thank you, Paul. And then coach <laughs> of the year, I, as I said, Wilfred Nancy, Montreal. No expectations up there this year. And they were great. Finished second in the East and and have a real shot to make a run in the postseason. Yeah, I would agree with coach of the year, Wilfred Nancy. Congratulations on an amazing season. No one talks about Montreal because they're up there in, you know, in Montreal. In and Quebec. It, yeah, they they feel very distant, um, but played really good soccer, finished second in the East, and Sam State School has him making a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, so, I don't think that's that's a ridiculous thing at all, by the way. No, I think that that should be up there as uh, as probably the thing most likely. They are the to two seed. Them. They are most the two likely seed. to doom them. Yes, anything we <laughs> well, predict on this show is yeah bad for your team. Fair enough. All right, Paul, let's take a little bit of a break here and we will come back and we'll take a few questions from listeners. Just a few. We got to keep this last segment short. We have, we have things to do today. Alas. Anyway, stay with us. Allocation disorder. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Paul, we're back. Allocation disorder. And we are taking listener questions. We haven't done this in a while. 
So we're going to try and kind of rapid fire lightning around these bad boys and get through as many as we possibly can. This one comes from Paul Harvey, sticking with the MLS playoff theme. Which one player is the most important to their team's cup, cup run? Obviously, depth plays a role in every MLS cup, but is there a single guy that takes their team up a notch and is absolutely vital? I have an easy answer for this. I think we both answered it last segment. Yeah. Hani I think Mukhtar. it's Hani Mukhtar in Nashville. Yeah. He does so much for them. Uh, Drew C would also be on that list as well. Um, man, uh, you know what? I know if, 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 you, if we want to give a sleeper pick, Alex Kyens, NYCFC. Does a ton for them. Defender of the year candidate. Has had a really solid year. Um, so there you go. There's another. Uh, JJ Smith and Soccer and Music both asked something along the lines of this question. Are the rumors about MLS adding a fourth designated player spot real? Paul? Um, Carlos Bocanegra said yesterday during a press conference that he has not heard anything about a fourth DP. Um, Tom Which, Boger, to be fair, doesn't necessarily doesn't mean, mean it's, it's not, not real. That's and that's not a shot at Carlos Bocanegra. It's just the league doesn't tell the GMs things because then they tell other people things. Yeah. Um, Tom Bogert also reported <laughs> that he, out. He had, he had made a few... <laughs> He had made a few phone calls uh, around the league, and and other people also hadn't heard it. I I I have made at least one phone call around the league. Whoa, and, at and least that, one. At least one. Wow. Um, I I would say this. I just want to say this really quickly. If MLS adds a fourth DP instead of doing like the more obvious things that fix the league, I just, will sell my house. It is indicative of the fact <laughs> that this league doesn't get it, and and so you know probably no, Paul, they, to they get it they just don't care they don't care they don't want the league to actually yeah. get better they're yes. like everyone will freak out if we had a fourth dp instead of yes. doing the thing that would actually make the product on the field better okay yazan asks does burhalter's contract expire after the world cup i would like to know for when i'm foolishly responding to people on the internet who are clamoring for him to be quote sacked after qatar since you don't need to fire someone who is out of contract yes greg burhalter's contract expires after the world cup there you go sacked one, I don't really like Britishisms in in writing about American soccer. It's a thing that a lot of people do, and it, it annoys me. But sacked, that's one I'm into. You're getting sacked in the morning. Love that one. I don't know. It's a fun word. What do you think? Sure. You're pro-sack? Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> Tim Hurd, how can MLS fix the best 11? So many are hating on the format, and I've heard some suggesting a second and third team best 11, but doesn't formation cause most of the problem? What's the solution? Tim, yes, formation does cause most of the problem here. Uh, we didn't go through our best 11s, um, mostly because we kind of forgot, but uh, MLS this year made you vote a 3-4-3. And, and it's just like, why, why? No one plays that formation in Major League Soccer. Like, why can't you just allow the people that cover the league or observe the league if they're players or coaches or GMs or journalists, p let them pick their own formation. Why can't, why can't we have that agency? Let, if I want to pick a four, two, three, one or a four, three, three or whatever, or a three, five, two, let me do that. Is that so hard? Yeah, man, whatever we can do to shout at the league, we should. And best 11 is difficult and it should be difficult, right? You're picking one yeah. guy at each position Give a little bit of flexibility to the people who are picking. And yes, I know that the league just wants, they want goal scorers. They want as many stats on the best 11 as sure, possible. But, Those but are the like, stars. But That's why they do it. are positions too. I mean, I played right back. I get it. But nobody cares about right backs. Well, I care about right backs and left backs. All right. Mark Mickelson. <laughs> Should I be nervous about St. Louis City's SE's 
quote, designated team approach. You want to give yes, people Mark. some background on yes, what Mark. that is? Uh, sure. Lutz von and Steele gave an interview with Tom Bogert, I believe, um, saying I that, remember. you know, that they weren't going to sign any more designated players and that they believed that th- this wasn't a designated player team. They needed to have a designated team where all <sighs> all 11 players contributed to the wins. Look, everyone wants their entire team to contribute to the team. It's a team. MLS gives you very few spots to actually do something where you can have game-changing players. St. Louis City has not done that yet. There's their DPs to this point, I don't even remember their names, are underwhelming. And until you understand <laughs> until you understand that the that be, the way the league is structured and how DPs work and the fact that those players have to be difference makers for you, then you're going to struggle. And if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, Charlotte is another example of this. They were fine as a team. They were okay. But they weren't looking at DPs as as the game-changing type of players. That doesn't mean that you have to go spend Atlanta United money, right? It still comes down to can they be game-changers for you, whether you spend $20 million on them or not. Hane Mukhtar was like, what, a $2.5 million transfer fee? Something like that uh, on his original I was, contract. I think it was more than that, but it was no four more million? than four. It was no more I, than four. I always get confused if he was getting paid for in the transfer, whatever. Either way, you know, you can find difference makers at different price points, but you have to understand that every roster rule in this league, you have to try to maximize and take advantage of. And the DP one still matters. It's one of six spots that you can spend essentially unlimited transfer funds on. And the one of three spots that you can spend unlimited salary on. So yes, it it matters that you use those spots and use them well, especially in today's MLS. So yes, you should be nervous about St. Louis City's designated team approach. Not to say that they're not going to be successful, but that it, it makes the road more difficult. It does. So let me first of all, I want to I want to read some more quotes from Fawn and Steel because it was ridiculous. Like I just it, it was funny. He said, we don't need a PR player. We'll, we will have our stadium full regardless, which is true. They've sold a million tickets. If we play against a Disney 11 with Goofy in goal and Pluto as a number nine, we'd still be sold out, which is just what a sentence. All right. So first of all, incredible quote. Uh, like we need more ridiculous crap like that. I think just in the world, but, but specifically in MLS. <laughs> the other part is, is their head coach is Bradley Carnell. He came over from the New York Red Bulls. The New York Red Bulls obviously don't really have superstar signings. They play a very high press, high intensity, young players who run a lot style. If you're trying to build that, then going out signing DPs for a lot of money that maybe aren't going to be all the way bought in. Okay, I can I can sort of understand that. Are their DPs a little bit underwhelming at this point in time? 100%. I also think that there is some value in leaving a spot open until the summer. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily what they're planning, but you know, having some flexibility built in is okay. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's a bit strange. Um, I think they will be, I think more together as an expansion team. They've had a lot of their players in St. Louis playing in MLS next pro that have signed MLS contracts including some of their DPs, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but it's a different approach. I don't think they're going to be a massive, massive success on the field. I also don't necessarily think they're going to be terrible. We'll see how the rest of their roster roster build goes though. I would I just like to, I would like if they went out and signed somebody with more of a pedigree, though. That would yeah. be nice. Yeah. I mean, I just think also, I, I want to comment on the Red Bull thing, okay? It's Red Bull New York that that goes with this strategy 
of not signing anybody of, yeah, of no. Yes. Yeah. Salzburg signs many stars and does really well oh. and they spend their money really efficiently. The, but they, they, they skew young. They skew young. They skew young, but they are scouting like hell. They're signing really good players yeah. who aren't cheap, who are known around the world, developing them and then selling them for a way more money, often to Leipzig which yeah. also spends money and Same signs deal. good players. Champions League clubs. It is just Red Bull New York that goes with all young, all unestablished, mostly not great players. Yeah. And believes that they can get away with it in MLS, which they can to a degree. They make oh, yeah. the playoffs. Why, and Why wouldn't they believe that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and, um, and I think that, you know, just because Red Bull does it that way, you can, you can play a high press and still sign good players. And, you know, maybe they're looking at Philly and they're saying they're talking to Ernst Tanner and he's saying, look, you don't need stars. You don't, you don't need stars, but you need really, you do need good players. You do need difference makers. And, and we'll see, man. I haven't watched those guys, so I'm reserving my judgment on them. Um, okay. Oh, after a huge rebuild in my, from Miami this year, this is from Jackson. Do you think they'll use all of their DP spots this winter or wait for the right players this winter slash summer? They should have three DP spots available. Um, you know, Leo Messi, I think they would like to take one of those at some point next year. I think um, he's going back to Barcelona. So that plan. It does seem up. like that. Yeah. Um, if Chris, if Chris Henderson's making the decisions, I, I would guess that they probably spread out these signings over two windows. If I'm basing it on the ownership group, I think they'll use all three DP spots as soon as maybe, possible. Maybe they'll sign six DPs again. That, yeah. that could be fun. They tried so more. It just it just depends on who's making the calls in Miami. And and historically it's been the ownership group. So yeah. that would be my my response. Okay. Joshua Norgard, Chicago this decade. Why? How? What's the path forward? <laughs> There's like eight ceiling. questions in this question. <laughs> Should Guti be center attacking midfielder over Shaq? Was Shaq a failure or expected? Should man Suedo by the Red Stars? Gaston's contract negotiation, success or long-term mistake? So many okay. questions. Let's it's, just it's, pick let's just pick one or two. Let, let's just go simple here. Why is it happening this why are they still bad? Well, they've gotten a lot of player decisions wrong. They've gotten a lot of players wrong. And Gaston Jimenez was a, one of them. You cannot, again, a good soccer player. You could drop Gaston Jimenez probably right into Boca Juniors starting lineup and he'd be a very good player for them. But he's a luxury player and the fire can't afford to have luxury players. Jairo Torres, a luxury player who you're playing out of position as a winger. He's a midfielder who helps connect and you don't have people to allow him to connect. Shakiri, you... you you paid a transfer fee and pay him $7 million a year when he wasn't playing in France, somehow almost doubled his salary, and walks around the field. A lot of decisions that went wrong. And, you know, the path forward is to start getting some of these decisions right. That's, it's as simple as that. You have to be better at your player recruitment Stop strategy. Stop being bad. And you have to, have an, actual, you have to have an actual strategy. I think the, the most obvious thing for me is that there isn't a real strategy with how they recruit and sign players. They signed a team that for the most part, until they added Chris Mueller looked like it was built. The roster was built to play a four, four, two diamond. And they have a coach who only plays a four, two, three, one. You sign Casper Shabilko, his stats, his analytics show very good striker in a two striker system, not good in a one striker system. You hire a coach who's playing a four, two, three, one. That's a sign that you have a disconnected, roster build that you are not thinking about how this works holistically what are the player profiles at each position that you're looking for how do you want to put it together you sign Jairo Torres to play as a winger in a 4-2-3-1 when he's a central midfielder in a 4-3-3 at Atlas 
you need your wingers in a 4-2-3-1 to be your most dynamic players, to be making runs in behind the back line, to be scoring goals and assisting goals. That's not ever what Jairo Torres has done. That's a sign of being disconnected in your player recruitment strategy. So that needs to be fixed. John Duran, still young. Do I think he'll get sold in this, you know, in this window? No. In the summer, if he has a good U20 World Cup, yes. Um, still, you saw him with the Colombian first team internationals, the senior team. You know, he still has a long way to go um, to, to be kind of a big, 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 big player. But the the development is good. And and Guti, I think you continue to work him into the into the lineup. I think you you try to start him. You probably aim for 20 starts this year um, and, and kind of go from there. Joshua Norgard throwing the catnip at Paul Tenorio, getting him fired up about the Chicago Fire. Yeah. It's a very easy easy thing to do on this show for both of us, in fact. Um, this has been a long show. So, Paul, we, we got to go. We got to bounce, man. We got to record a trailer for a different podcast. We'll have more info on that as the World Cup approaches. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Allocation Disorder. We will be back next week with a round of playoff games in the books. Enjoy them. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.